Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Conseil Podcast, your step-by-step guide on how to live your best life. Now, in the previous episode yesterday, we talked about um, investing in your talents, and we focused more on the music, and it was such an amazing conversation. I really enjoyed it. And at the end of the episode, I talked about having a special episode with a very, very influential person in the financial sector, and this is none other than Mr. Jito Kayumba. Mr. Jito, thank you for coming on the show. It's my pleasure, Kama. It's a pleasure to, to be on this podcast and uh, you know share a few insights with the people that listen to it, and hopefully you know the people will gain knowledge out of this, and their time will not be wasted, right? Definitely, <laughs> definitely. amazing. I am so excited for this because. Um, for those of you that actually don't know, I'll give just a briefing, but obviously Jito's going to explain, he's going to introduce himself in detail, but for those of you that don't know, he is the financial advisor for none other than His Excellency, Mr. Hakainde Chilema, the president of our beautiful, beautiful country, Zambia. So yeah, um, basically that's what we're going to do. We're going to have a short discussion with Jito, his journey in the financial world and what we who are listening can learn from him. Just a few pointers here and there. So, Jito, without any further ado, tell us a bit about yourself. Well, I really appreciate... Um, so, I need to just make one little correction. So, I'm not a financial advisor oh, to the president okay. because that means that would entail me uh, advising on his personal financial... Yeah. You know, that's typically what a financial advisor is. I'm a special assistant to the president for economic and development affairs. That's quite, quite cross-cutting. Um, I essentially, because of my background in private equity, right? I've been a VC, uh, or in other words, an pro- investment professional for the last 15 years. And uh, that entails uh, structuring investments, doing analysis uh, for investments, and, and what sort of returns they can derive, they can create, and then also being in a, in a, a situation where you could identify projects, uh, create financial solutions, package, structure deals. Um, that's one of the many ways in which you know, I, I create value within, within the office. Of course, we've got a vast team that has different competencies, but a lot of it is to do with the application of, of economics. It's, it's more of applied economics, which is how transactions uh, catalyze economic growth that's inclusive, that creates jobs, that creates better well-being, right? And that has a spillover effect on the balance of payments, uh, trade balance, and all these factors, right? We also want to create a robust economy that um, allows for increased exports, uh, you know, stabilized currency, and and really, I'm part of a team that essentially is working to do that. So that's just a bit of a clarification. Now, you asked me a little bit about myself, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm I'm a citizen of this beautiful country, and I was born... uh, not too long ago, right? I'm still relatively young. <laughs> yeah. I don't give off my age. Yeah. Uh, not yet 40. That's the only giveaway I can give you. Um, I am, you know, I grew up in, uh, I was born here in Lusaka. Grew up in Indola during the time when my parents had split. And then, you know, went to Nsansa Primary School up until I was about 10. Uh, moved to Lusaka to be with my father. Uh, I actually, you know, was raised by my grandmother when I was, you know, from 4 to about 10, or no, 3 to 10. Then came to Lusaka, joined my father, uh, and then really, uh, I, I would say, was a kid who was very cantankerous, mm-hmm. right? Because you know, when you grow up in a in a home where you are, you know, it's it's a very how do I say? It is, there was a lot of discipline because my father's in the military, but at the same time, um, my parents split when I was very young. So you 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 kind of look at the world from a different lens. Yeah. And it makes you a little bit um, 
you doubt yourself, you have to show sure that you're normal, right? Because of, of that. But it's okay. I mean, it's in life we have different perspectives. and But it, it helps you also, it, it made me curious. And even in the midst of my cantankerousness, mm-hmm. I was also highly explorative. I like to learn. And I think it opened up channels of gaining new knowledge. So fast forward, you know, I was moved to to seek, you know, how can I be a contributor to, to this country in a positive way? You know, um, so I'll give you reasons for that. When I was about eight years old, I remember one time, um, in fact, no, no, maybe, uh, maybe younger, but I remember I was young, I was very young. I was being driven to school. And I remember, you know, I've told this story from time to time because it really, it pulls my heartstrings. You know, I'm sitting in the, in, the, in the vehicle being driven and I look out the window, a kid who is my age was also going to school, but the difference was that he was in tattered clothing, tattered school uniform, he was walking, I think he was barefoot. And that struck me. It, it, it gave me this recognition that, you know what, I'm very fortunate to, to be driven to school. I had a decent breakfast, I'm wearing clean clothes, but that kid is not different from me. This is somebody I was... Uh, fortunate to be born in an in a environment, in a, in a family, in a home that can afford to, to make these provisions for me. And that gentleman, that young man, who I hope today is a, you know, is a great gentleman, because yes. we're probably around the same age, um, you know, are, are no different. And, you know, and in life, and it makes me recognize that in, there's lots of inequities in the world and fairness. So I always wondered to myself, how can I be part of the solution to this? And it was weird to think that way as a kid, you know, having an enormous amount of empathy. I don't know where it came from, but it was there. And eventually, I, when I was making decisions of what my first degree should be, and I say first because I went on to do a few other things, but um, I thought, let me do political science with a blend of economics, right? You, can't, you know, political science needs to have other elements to it, you know, because it's about management of public affairs. It's about policy, it's about governance, it's about management of resources, allocation of those resources. So I went into that thinking, knowing that maybe one day I'll be in, in a public office, yeah. foreshadowing my current situation. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, anyway, so in the course of doing that, I learned a lot about public policy and, and public, you know, all sorts of things, public finance management, economics. But eventually, I, I fell in love with finance. I found it during the course of some internships I was doing. Um, then, so I, of course, I got my degree in, in that first program. Went into finance, started taking courses in accounting and you know finance, and then eventually, uh, you know, went on to do my MBA. Uh, but before that, actually, I started working in advisory, doing mergers and acquisitions, before finding myself in venture capital, where I was working for you know a good good number of years. And then uh, get get that incredible call to, to join the, the you know the, the office of the president yeah. you know and um, serve in in the capacity of yeah. what I shared earlier. So that's really just a bit about myself. Maybe you know I don't know how mm-hmm. we can narrow it down, but yeah, yeah. I don't want to make this too long winded. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a bit about me. Yeah. Amazing, that's brilliant. I love that you said that you were especially that you were a very contemporary child because I feel like that's one thing that we have in common. Mm-hmm. I always say that I feel like. None of the people who met me when I was young mm. will forget who I was because I was just that type of person. Mm. And the other thing that you said that I also share with you is the fact that you talked about being open to learning. Yes. And that's one thing that I'm open to as well. I'm one person who is very 
humble mm. to the process of learning mm. or the acquisition of knowledge. My dad always says that um, it's better to know a little bit of everything than too much of one thing. You think so? Yeah, which is something that I've kept with me for a while because it, it's 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 broadened my perspective mm-hmm. on you know being open to learning different things. And he went on further to say that in as much as you should be able to learn different things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important also to be rigid with your own perspective of the world whilst flexible to the opinions of others or the other people's perspective mm. which was really really <laughs> something that really that have kept with me for for a while now because that's what keeps me going in a lot of these things you know I think what that is is being principled right yes um, being rigid on your, your views and beliefs is about principles and particularly if you stand on a firm ground of morality of ethics that's very important the one thing I will say in a different way um, is that knowledge must be relevant whatever yes. you know has to be relevant to a certain your purpose right Definitely. sometimes knowing too much could be you know okay let me I'll start by saying this the brain is finite it's not it, it, human beings are incredible uh, species with yes. enormous brain capacity but we can't learn too much yeah. there's different types of thinking there's linear thinking there's creative there's this there's that there's people whose mindset is more mathematical Definitely. more scientific some people yeah. are more creative who, who struggle to do things on the other side because you know you, you heard stories of oh, this person's left brain this person's right brain yeah. and there's a certain uh, the, the manner in which your, your, your neurons and the brain mm-hmm. sort of composition is structured yeah. does feed into how talented you'll be in one thing or the other we all built different now the reason I'm saying this is and, and why I'm talking about relevance of knowledge and, and purpose is that if you end up learning too much of different things mm-hmm. you end up um, not being able to have, to be masterful in something yeah. and I believe mastery is very important we should definitely we are multifaceted right um, if you're, whether if you're a professional you should have a social life you should have a family life you should have things that improve your health your spirituality your, you name it um, but ultimately if you are to achieve some level of greatness in anything I think there has to be a significant amount of focus in one area mm-hmm. not to put down obviously the wisdom of, of your father but I think also but it, it, it's really about application the, the where your energy where your mind goes your energy flows and that requires a serious level of focus. Mm-hmm. So, That's true. Yeah, so That's I thought I should great. just touch on that. Yeah. yeah, amazing. So now, I just want to go a little bit into the whole business aspect of the business world a little bit. Um, I believe that one of the things that I'm very keen about is taking up opportunities. Yes. And using opportunities to create more opportunities. Mm-hmm. Not just for you, but for other people as well. Mm-hmm. And... In finance, it's really also about capitalizing on opportunities for the most part. So now, um, one of the questions that I have is, how do you assess the financial viability of an opportunity? Okay, so that's a good question. I think one has to be extremely perspicacious, extremely knowledgeable. We're talking about knowledge, and yes, one has to appreciate the fundamentals of of a business. So every business is unique, and you have to remember that before you look at the numbers, first you start looking at the person. Yeah. Are we talking about a person who is credible, a person who has the requisite skill set to yeah. execute this? What is their track record? What have they done before that has been successful? 
those those are factors that are very important then you also want to look at of course yes education all those things play a role but not always yeah. i know very people who are, don't have degrees but they incredible business people because the business world has taught them the trading the application of knowledge on the street like street mm-hmm. smart people exactly. they make more money than people with that PhDs is, that is 100% true mm-hmm. yeah so this is why it's important to assess that their track record their capacity their skill set their execution capacity mm-hmm. once you've done that and of course you want to look at their integrity because if you're going to fund somebody you need to appreciate um, their ability to to hold to to be kept to their word to be ethical to be morally upright to be to you know to, to be trustworthy with capital yes. so secondly um so beyond that, you've got a, a situation where you you now flow into the business model. What is the business model? What does this entity produce? How does it produce this? What are, what are the factors of production? Now we start getting to the numbers. You start saying, if this company, let's just use a simple example as a trucking company. What is the most important asset, you know, of, of being able to create value from a transportation perspective? It's having a truck, right? That's an asset that sits on the balance sheet. It creates. It generates cash flows. So you you look at the cost factors. You add all, all those factors up. Obviously, um, that gives you a sense of what sort of capitalization is needed in addition to other things, other working capital, expenses, and this and that, the fixed, the variable, all the costs, right? Then you look into the, the revenue model. Yes. How much does this business charge? And how often does it repeat that activity? So, of course, um, what I'm describing you to you is a PNL. It's a profit and loss account. It's income statement. Yeah. It's how much money flows to the business. And at the end of the day, is there a surplus? In other words, is there a profit? After the top line, which is your revenue, after cost of goods sold, after uh, you know your sales, general expense, admin expenses. Yeah. I mean, so, so yeah, various sorry expenses, and then you know looking into taxation, looking into of course amortization. To appreciation of those factors and then the net profit after tax um, once you that's how you do it you know it's 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 a simple thing then you model it over a period of time some won't be uh, positive cash flow positive or or, or profitable in, initially because you need to scale up there's also factors of you know economies of scale if a business is too small or generate or has a certain amount of capital that's insufficient to create a certain degree of value it means it may not be profitable up until it gets to a point where it has enough capacity to because yes. the unit cost of things goes down the more capital you have sure. the more facility so you have to look at that mm-hmm. so and then you, you in an excel sheet you essentially do a forecast model yeah. five years mm-hmm. looking into that and then you can see whether or not it's viable yeah. based on fundamental assumptions yeah. of that particular business model i described the tracking company yeah. Um, and this is why insight is important. Researching is important. Due diligence is important. Looking at the financial statements, uh, making sure that they're audited, because an audit essentially means that they've been verified to be factual, right? Yeah. You check the bank statements yeah. against receipts, against you know other records, and uh, up against what's been recorded. So um, that is key. So really, in simple terms, I don't know, you know, uh, overly. Uh, um, indulge your audience with some of the the fundamental elements that are detailed because you can lose people and get bored right so yeah that's pretty much the view yeah brilliant now um i want to bring into into perspective a very controversial thing regarding people especially young people who own businesses in zambia Mm -hmm. and i think this is something that happens as well in africa on a broader perspective Mm -hmm. 
you know, there are those situations where, and I've faced this before since I run a business as a photographer, yes. where you, it's hard to get loyalty from your clients. Mm -hmm. And not only that, you have um, a situation where your clients want to have a certain level of ownership. I don't think ownership is the right word to use, but for lack of a better term, ownership to your business where they're always asking for discounts. Mm -hmm. They're always mm -hmm. wanting to get things for free because they're your friend or they're your family, they're your brother and, and so on and so forth. Um, and then you end up having to negotiate for these prices. How can one get the customer to buy at a set price without coming off as defensive or in a way that would chase the customer away because essentially you're selling to the customer the fact that they've come to you means they want to buy yes so the first and most important thing is to know who your target market is and have a tailored approach to targeting because what tends to happen is that people sell to the people they're most comfortable with. The problem yeah. with the people they're most comfortable with, which is friends and family, mm -hmm. is that they also have a feeling that ah, because you're my friend, you give me a discount. Yeah. But what if you sell it to the, to the market that can appreciate that you're creating value, mm -hmm. that you, you are highly you're differentiated. You're not like any other photographer or any other producer of any particular product, mm -hmm. that you bring a certain level of professionalism, yeah. a certain level of quality. Mm -hmm. And people should be willing to pay for that. We exchange, you know, uh, business is an exchange of money for value. People seek value. Yes. So if they pay you, they should know that you, whether it be your editing, your, the way you appreciate lighting, your equipment, you know, and this is why also I believe in great customer service, treating your customer with respect, yes. appreciating their needs. Why do people want photography? People want it to be immortalized. Yes. People want to have a good quality image that people can appreciate. And also, to a large extent, all human beings have a certain degree of vanity. You know, you want to look good. So if you can be that person to assure them that I'm going to make you look good mm -hmm. for your Instagram, for your whatever, yeah, your Facebook, you know, for your family photos yeah. in the house, mm -hmm. I'm the right guy for it because yes. I can bring out the best in you. So it's also about marketing it in that particular way. And once you do that, once you've you, you're able to convey the manner in which you um, engage your customer and then you price and say, my price is this, it's my price. And then you can also be smart in a way, like what a lot of like my good friends in the you know, Asian community do. Yeah. Say I know for a fact that this phone is, I bought it for say 800 kwacha, yeah. but for me to make a profit, I need to sell it for 1,200. Yeah. I'll price it 1,500. So by the time it's been discounted to do 1,200, I've, I've, I've gotten my target return. Yeah. So it's also about being a bit savvy. Hmm. So you say, look, this is my price. How can I bring it down to yeah. the price that you actually sell it for? But then, but if nobody asks for that, you say, no, no, I'm going to give you a discount because you're a good customer. So those are tricks that big companies do. Even game, you find yeah. that there's a weekly promotion, yeah. but that's the price that they, you know. It's usually the price that they want. Exactly. Yeah. So maybe the premium is on, on the, you know, whatever, in the regular time. Mm -hmm. Now, the other thing I wanted to, to mention really is, you know, being firm is important. Yes. Talk about principles. Some of, one of the things that you said, your, uh, your dad mentioned is about being rigid in, yes. in your, your worldview, mm -hmm. but also being open to other people's yeah. opinions. This also matters. Knowing your customer, that's their opinion. They want X, Y, Z, but also being firm to say, for me to offer this service, I have to charge 200 kwacha. It is anything less, I lose money. I want to make, this is, this is what I charge. It's mm -hmm. fixed. Even your communication and managing expectations is important. True. When you go into a customer and you're telling them what you're going to do for them, this is my fee, this is my charge, and making life easier for them. Yes. You know, setting the location, 
setting the right tone and sometimes giving one or two freebies and saying, look, pay this, but I'll throw in an extra, you know, whatever, five, six edited photos for you. Yes. Because you're yeah, a good customer to retain you. You know, and you refer me to somebody, I'll do a photo show for free. You know, it's about thinking that way. So to me, that's my advice um, for anyone who struggles with clients who are not who are inconsistent. But also, the more you you know your market and you know its size, then you know what segment are problematic. Yes. And what segment are the right ones to go for? You can even say, you know, I really focus on corporate because you know, they've got some money. Exactly. And or that level. Because that's a segment could be, you know, professional women, for example. Yes. There's a growing demographic of women who are bankers, lawyers. You know, it's it's a huge shift. If and if you look at the investment in the girl child, yes. which is bearing fruit, mm-hmm. they've got disposable income. You yes. can say, uh, you know, that becomes a demographic who's happy yes. to, to to take photos or have photos taken of them, but at the same time. Uh, have disposable income. So, and of course, you know, being women, women are exactly. So, anyway, that's that's my advice in that regard. Amazing, amazing. I love that you added. You talked about the issue of value adding, and that's something that another person who's into venture capital, who's very prominent in the business sector, talks about a lot. Vusitembakwayo. Oh. Yeah, he likes to talk about the importance of value adding in a business mm-hmm. and trying to get the attention in, in trying to get the attention of an investor or customer. Mm-hmm. That it's important that they know the value that you're going to add to them if you want to get their attention. Sure. Yes. So now, um, my next question is, how do you sell the value of the product or service before you actually sell said value or product? Hmm. Okay, so I think you have to really, really convey that you believe in it yourself. Okay, you have to believe it. And then at the same time, that's why a product has to be, the, the, the value it brings to the marketplace has to be very clear. Because if a product is good mm-hmm. and um, relevant to the customer, yes. it's so much easier to sell. Mm-hmm. So people must feel that... Okay, let me give you a perfect example. I've, uh, I go to the gym. I'm hoping, you know, it, I always, when I ask people, do you, does, does, can you tell? Because mm-hmm. if you can't, then I'm not doing a good job. Yeah. But I have a guy who's an instructor. Yeah. And he sells service of instructing or you know, working out and so on. Yes. Now, he's... He could be selling a service of training me how to lift weights, what the, but that's not what he's selling. He's selling self-esteem. He's selling confidence. Mm-hmm. He's selling health. Mm-hmm. So people have to look at the some the deeper thing. Yeah. When people are selling a watch, a phone, mm-hmm. yes, some people say, oh, this one is with thousand megapixels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, like Steve Jobs said it. Mm-hmm. When People, someone asked him a question about technology. Hey, how about the technology? Hey, you're yeah. not using this microchip. <laughs> yeah. I said, do customers care about that? True. They want a great experience. Mm. When you compare Japanese products and say American products, mm. for this was an example, Americans say, this is a great product. Yeah. But Japanese will say, no, no, no. We're not going to tell you it's quality. We want you to feel the quality. And yes. you're going to tell all your friends and everybody will know it's quality. True. So it's about creating a product that, that fulfills the needs of the customer. This is why spending enough time getting to know a customer is so important appreciating their needs their wants what really drives them deeply yes. why is a person spending this money mm-hmm. you know to be in the gym or to to um, have their photos done mm-hmm. or to buy that bread or to buy that car or you know purchase from this store as opposed to that store yes. it's what is the brand communicating to them yes. um, what to what extent has it touched their desires mm-hmm. and or even 
touched some of their fears. You know, sure. the two biggest motivating factors in life, it's love and it's fear. Sure. Where we do things because we're afraid of loss of something mm -hmm. and we do other things because we love something. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of, and those are really deeply rooted psychological elements yeah. which one must convey in a very clear way. Yeah, yeah that's true. Mm -hmm. Amazing, amazing. Now, I feel like this is going to be my last question. Sure. Um, really? So... Oh, okay, okay. Amazing, amazing. All right. <laughs> I can tell that you're enjoying the conversation, yeah? All right. Amazing. So, um, I'm pretty sure you've also owned businesses yourself yes. over the years mm -hmm. and stuff. Some may have been fruitful, some may not have been. Yes. So now I want to focus more on those that may not have been. Yes. How did you deal with your first major business loss? It was devastating. You know, when you have a business, you put money towards it and it's failed because you're it's not because the marketing was bad, it was not the timing was off. It, the product was created for a marketplace that was not ready for it yeah. um, and, and it failed. So, but the first lesson, and you have to remember that failure is not permanent, it is a teacher. Yes. It teaches you what works, what doesn't. So it's like, I use the Edison example. Yeah. He failed a thousand times. Sure. And they asked him, how does it feel about failure? He's, you know, his answer was, at least I know a thousand ways how not to do this. <laughs> so it means that it brings him closer to being great at doing other things. So I'm a great, great believer in, you know, doing, in learning from your mistakes, yes. learning from your failures, mm -hmm. and making sure one, you, of course you don't repeat them, yeah. um, so that it steers you towards doing something properly. So that's what that experience did, is as devastating as it is, the, you know, let me tell you something about pain. Yeah. Um, the, the, the all, our, our memory is, is more attached to pain than pleasure. We, we remember things that hurt us more than remember things that bring us joy. So, Pain is a great teacher and God in his infinite wisdom designed us to be that way so that we avoid certain things. And if, if, if you're going to not be, you know, say, yeah, in, in a way, because it, it, you remember the details of how it happened, yeah. you essentially yeah, move on in a more progressive way. So anyway, that's the answer amazing. to your question. Yeah. All right, amazing. So um, then a lot of people, just not even in the business world, I like that you talked about the fear and love mm -hmm. aspect. A lot of people have a fear of loss, yes. be it in business or outside business. Sure. People have a fear of loss. And it essentially comes down to what you said about us being more in line with the sad part than the happiness yes. and stuff. So how do you deal with the fear of making a loss, either in business or just in general? Uh, risk mitigation. So every business person when you're planning a business look fundamentally at where are the risks assess it thoroughly of course there's no foolproof business model but why does a power station power company before they build they do a thorough feasibility study on the geography on the hydrology on the irradiation they do that because they know that because they use science right knowledge is power yeah. so if you know that if there's x amount of irradiation in this area and the topography is like this then i can generate x amount of megawatts of sunlight with x amount of land yeah. but that solves one problem that yeah. solves the problem of okay i just need to get the land and i'll be able to generate power but i need to make money off this so i yeah. go to zesco make them sign an agreement called a power purchase agreement yeah. which guarantees that when i build this they're going to buy my power so that's how you're de-risking your business. You're making bankable. It's called bankability. So we, we've, we deal with fear of loss by being more inquisitive about ways in which we can make 
not only the business work, but ways in which we can reduce the possibility of failure. Yes. Making sure you guarantee your market. You do, you know, surveys, you you, you gauge people. Is this you you prototype, you yes. create something at a smaller scale to see will people consume this? Then you see, ah, they've consumed it. Okay, now let me scale up. Yeah. But nobody should ever go into anything being so fearful of loss. Because fear itself debilitates you as much as it can motivate you. Like some people, I've got friends who tell me, man. I'm driven by the fact that I'm so afraid of going back to poverty. It makes them work hard. Yeah. And that's the fear of that. Then some it's the fear of having their children not be able to eat. Some, some it's the love of a family member, a parent, who they want to help um, take care of. Yeah. So, and that, that's the love part. So, you know, really, when you put all this together, fear of loss should never really be a factor. It's, in fact, if anything, you must care about something so much that you should be fearful of losing, but it's overcome by the desire for it to succeed. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll end with the saying yeah. in this particular question mm-hmm. that if the pain of staying the same mm-hmm. is is not greater than the pain of change, then you never change. Mm-hmm. You, you need to, your your situation has to be. You you must be pursuing something that takes you from where you are to where you need to be yes. because you're not happy with the status quo. Yes. And that's that's what overcomes the fear of loss. I'm I'm much more determined to succeed than because I know that if I say the same, it's much more painful than yeah. than, than than the fear of, of take, getting off and moving yeah. into a different direction. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. All right. So now um, this is going to be my last question, and then we can wrap it up. Um, if you could, I don't, I don't know how much how big you are into investment, mm-hmm. but this is a question that I'm going to ask either way. Mm-hmm. If you could invest in a small business today, whatever business it could be, what are the key things that you would consider before investing in said business? One is, you know, you have to look at its values. Um, what does it represent? What is its ethos? Right? Every business, yes, it's, it's so no, we're talking about investment, so you want to think about returns and so on. But what to think about the social, the environmental, social, and governance factors. So the ethos is important. So you don't want to invest in a company as profitable as it is, but it does harm to the environment. Yeah. It does harm to communities. It, it harms, you know, it's just got a negative impact. Yeah. So that's more on the uh, issue of... Yeah, well, but no, just on on uh, picking and doing, a, what you call this, elimination, right? The yeah. process of elimination. But on the plus side, yes, it should be profitable. It should have a, a track record of profitability in comparison to its peers. Yes. Because a company that makes a 20% return is great, but what if the same there's a company in the same industry making a 30% return? Yeah. So you know that there's something wrong with that company. Because typically, the fundamentals, the factors that go into running into a company, typically are the same. That's why we look at peer groups. So you, you, you do that. Second, you have to like and be a consumer of what they produce. Yeah. I When I invest in companies on the stock exchange, I use their products. I know that, oh, I'm going to invest in telecom company because I consume that product. Oh, let me invest in banking and, you know, because I utilize that. Oh, so that's that's one, to having a personal touch. The, the, the next really is, it's maybe some of the philosophy around its future. Where, where is it going? You know, what, is it got capacity to scale even more? Can it grow even more? Which will increase my, my return. Because scalability is part of what, causes a company to, to whose valuation to go up, which helps retain wealth for you. So those are among the, I'd say, the, the key, the very simple factors yes. I look for. Um, yeah, okay. that's pretty much Amazing. That. Okay, just a bonus before you go, because it's in line with the same one. 
Um, so from an, that's from an investor's perspective. What about from the business person's perspective? When is the right time for them to actually start looking for investment? Um, I think it's once, first of all, you should already be running at a certain scale. But it's when you know that the demand that the market is looking for is, is greater than what you're able to supply. That's when you know it's the right time to scale. Because you know that there's, there is market to consume the increased productivity that you're going to bring. Because you have to remember, the acquisition of capital should always be not for consumption, but for investment in new assets that generate more cash flow. I used the example of a trucking company at the beginning. Um, if you've got five trucks, but there's demand out there that even 30 you know, would still get you enough market and business, then you go and buy those 30 trucks with, uh, with the added capital that comes in. And there should be a clear plan for that. And you're able to, to you know, of course, justify that it will bring you increased cash flows, increased returns, increased value, increased employees. And that's key. So to me, that's that's the simple answer. Amazing. When you get you look for capital, amazing, amazing. I feel like I've learned so much from this conversation. I've enjoyed it so much. There's so many perspective. There's so many things that you put in per, into perspective that I didn't actually know at the beginning, which have really. I feel like I'm going to implement a lot of them in my photography business as well. And I feel like yeah, that's that's pretty much it. So that brings us to the end of the show. I had so much fun. Before you break off, yeah, yes. I just want to leave a thought because I think. This is, these are one of the things, and sorry for cutting you. It's okay, it's okay. I think the first important thing is to, for us to work on ourselves. Yes. Human beings are vessels of, of uh, value. So, and you have to remember that before you get to a certain level business-wise, you yourself have to be big enough. And when I say big enough, I mean mentally. You, mu- you must be mature. You must be disciplined. You must be somewhat you know, ready to lead, to have em- employees, manage them, deal with problems, deal with frustrations, deal with the market. It, it comes down to not only knowing your business as an entrepreneur who knows how to manage the business. It's about managing people, managing your emotions, managing you know, the, the vol- volatility of, you know, of any economic environment, yes. right? And really that comes down to improving oneself. How does one do that? You know, when you read, when you take in principles of success, you know, principles of issues of, you know, honesty, integrity, partnerships, uh, being able to, to somewhat, you know, not be petty, mm-hmm. not be negative, being yes. spiritually and mentally grounded, yes. you know, being healthy, all these yes. are factors that make people successful. That nobody really talks about. We just look at, oh, I need capital, I need this. But I also need to have the wherewithal, the mental bandwidth to manage this. You know, and to me, I just thought I should mention it's like work, invest in yourself, invest in knowledge, and everything else will, will follow. Yeah. That's so much. That's so true. Thank you so much for coming through, Jito Kayumba. I really, really appreciate it. I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy, busy schedule to 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 come through. And so you heard it here first, everybody. Thank you so much for listening in. And until next time, remember to live your best life. <laughs>